Listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225 274 1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. I'm so excited to be here. Always an absolute honor to be behind uh, the pulpit here. And we're going to be closing out the series on the Holy Spirit today. Very excited about today's message. We're going to be rounding it all off uh, in, in a big way. And hopefully you're going to leave here uh, knowing more than you do right now. Amen. So let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We just thank you so much, God, for who it is that you are. We thank you that your presence is here, Lord, and that we can sense that, Father God. That miracles can take place because you are in the house this morning, Lord. And I pray as always that you would use me. I pray, Lord God, that every word from my mouth is yours and not mine. And I pray, Lord, that there would be open hearts and open minds this morning. That people would leave changed forever. We give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said... Amen and amen. Okay, so like I said, we're closing out the series on the Holy Spirit. It's been a fantastic series this month. There's been so much powerful information and hopefully you have taken away uh, from this series some information that you never knew before. And hopefully, again, that's what's going to happen here this morning as well. So, so far in the series, we've heard, we've heard about who the Holy Spirit is. We've heard about who He is. We've heard about what it is that the Holy Spirit does. So we've heard about the who, we've heard about the what in some very, very powerful messages uh, every Sunday and every Wednesday. And today, we're going to hear about why we need the Holy Spirit. So we've had the what, we've had the who, and now today we're going to have the why. Okay, the question that I'm going to be answering today is why do we need him? Why do we need him? And that sounds like a strange question to ask. And, you know, you can turn around and say, well, of course we need him. Well, that's totally true. We do need him. I'm not questioning that at all. But why? Why is it that we need him? Why is it that the Holy Spirit is so important to our lives? Well, you know, the Holy Spirit is obviously it's a massive topic. It's a huge topic. And not just in the amount that we can actually learn, not just in the amount of information in the Bible that there is to learn about the Holy Spirit, but it's huge as in powerful and life-changing. It's a massive topic to you personally. Not just based on, as I said, the amount of information that we have about the Holy Spirit, but on the impact that He can have on your life. Because let me tell you this, right up front, your life with the Holy Spirit is completely different to a life without the Holy Spirit. And I'm speaking to you this morning, as always, from experience. I'm going to be teaching you today from God's Word, but I'm going to be sharing things from you to you about my own experience with the Holy Spirit. And I'm doing that because that's what I'm fully qualified to do. Because nobody else can tell me how the Holy Spirit is in my life. Amen? And I'm not here to tell you how the Holy Spirit should be in your life. Because if there's one thing about a relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's this. It's entirely individual. The Holy Spirit loves you as much as He loves me, as much even as He loves Josh. Okay? 
He loves each and every one of us, and his relationship with you should be completely unique and individual. Some churches don't teach about the Holy Spirit. Some churches do not want to go close to this subject. And the reason for that is this. Some people are uncomfortable hearing about the Holy Spirit. And not only that, to be honest with you, some people are uncomfortable about talking about the Holy Spirit. They're uncomfortable about teaching about the Holy Spirit. It's a topic, as I said, which some churches will, will, will tend to shy away from. As you all know by now, we are not some church. Amen? We absolutely pride ourselves here on teaching the whole Bible, each and every part of it. And it baffles me, just from a completely naive perspective, it baffles me how a topic like the Holy Spirit, which is so life-changing and so powerful, can be not taught in churches. Can be not taught in churches. All right, so there is, a, generally speaking, a lack of understanding about the Holy Spirit. And that's not just a today thing. It's pretty much been the case throughout history. People have been unsure about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, why the Holy Spirit is important in our lives. And so, because it's something that they don't necessarily understand, as with all things, what people don't understand, they fear. People fear what they don't understand. It, has, it brings a nervousness about it, and if I can avoid it, I'm going to avoid it. Okay, that's what we do with danger, isn't it? If we see a dangerous situation, then we're hardwired to try and avoid it. Okay, I'm not going to walk across Florida Boulevard with my eyes closed. Okay, it's a dangerous situation. And so I'm going to try and stay away from that situation, yes? I'm not going to walk across there with my eyes closed. So rather than do that, I'm going to not do that. And that's the kind of unease, if you like, that the Holy Spirit can also create as well, if we're not careful. All right, so as I said... It's been the case throughout history. There's been a lack of understanding about the Holy Spirit, and so because of that, there's been a nervousness. Look at this in the book of Acts. Okay, Acts 2, verses 1 through 3. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. It goes on. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. It goes on again. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. In verse 9, no, I'm going on. Okay, the verse 12, it says, They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They are just drunk, that's all. They're just drunk, that's all. But there's so much we can draw from this part of Scripture here. And I just want to touch on a couple of points really quickly. The first thing is this. Jesus has made it clear to the disciples, to the people who are in the upper chamber, in the upper room of this house, He said to them that the Holy Spirit is going to come. I want you to wait here, and I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And that's as much information as he gives them. He doesn't tell them what the experience for them is going to be. He doesn't say, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes, and when it comes, you're all going to be standing in a room, and suddenly there's going to be a wind like, like, like you've never heard before. There's going to be flames flickering above your head, and suddenly out of your mouth, you're going to be talking in a foreign language. He doesn't say that. 
And I'm pretty glad that the disciples are, 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 are pleased he didn't say that, okay? Because if I was a disciple hearing that, I'd be thinking, whoa, whoa, hang on there a second. Why? Because again, it's different. It's strange. It's out of the ordinary. But they didn't have a clue how the Holy Spirit was going to hit them. What was going to happen to them in their own personal experience with the Holy Spirit? And that's important for me to raise and to pull because let me tell you why. If you haven't yet experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you aren't going to know how it's going to feel. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you how it's going to feel because it's going to feel differently for you than it did for me. And it's going to be an individual experience. Yes, there are going to be some things which we will have in common, but there are going to be certain things which are unique. So the first thing is this. They didn't have a clue how it was going to happen. But once it had happened and everybody else saw it happening, they didn't understand it either. They didn't understand it either. So what did they do? They tried to put it into a box, into something that they did understand. They understood that people that were going to be babbling around in a strange language, acting weird, acting strange, acting different, well, they must be drunk. Because they've seen drunk people. And that's what drunk people do. So they label it because they don't understand that it can't possibly be anything else. Now, we're all guilty of that. We all do that. If we don't know what something is, our brains will automatically try and turn it into something that our brains do know what it is. Does that make sense? That's what we do. We will try and shape whatever it is that we see into something that we know about. We can't handle something that we don't fully understand. And they were in the same situation. So they're all like, well, that can't possibly be happening. We're going to just dismiss this and say that they're all drunk. But then Peter steps up and he sets them straight. In Acts 2, uh, 14 through 16, he stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. He said, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. By the prophet Joel. So he's basically come to them and he's saying, no, what you see is this. And what you think it is is this, because your brain doesn't understand what it is. You think it's this. What it actually is, is that. It's not this, it's that. It's not what you think it is, it's what Joel predicted it was already. So he's stepping forward and he's saying, look, it's a completely different thing to what it is that you think. Now, hopefully over the last few weeks, that's what's been happening gradually and slowly to you. You would have come into this series, irrespective of how long you've been a Christian or otherwise, with an idea of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is there for and why we need him in our lives. You may have had a different idea four weeks ago than what you have now, and hopefully that's the case. You should have learned by now who the Holy Spirit is, what it is the Holy Spirit can do in your lives, okay? And what we're going to learn about, as I said, is why it's so important that we have him in our lives. Hopefully you now completely know who the Holy Spirit is and what happens in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully after this message, as I said, you're going to leave knowing the why we need him. So I'm going to look today at five reasons, five reasons that we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, these are certainly not all of the reasons that we need the Holy Spirit. There are countless of those, okay? But the first reason we need him is this. He empowers us to do what is right. He empowers us to do what is right. Now, one of the key things about why we need the Holy Spirit is not who we are when we have the Holy Spirit. 
It's who we are when we don't have the Holy Spirit. That's one of the key reasons that we need him. All right, look at the scripture. Paul the Apostle, he's writing to the Roman church, and he's talking here about himself, all right, which means he's talking about all of us. Because Paul is just a regular guy. Maybe not completely regular, regular, but fairly regular. Okay, He's just a guy. And what does he say? He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Now, what Paul is talking about here is human nature. It's our default. He's talking about how we lead our lives when left to our own devices. In other words, when we don't succumb to the Holy Spirit, when we're living to our own devices. He's not saying that every single thing that we do is bad. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that we are very capable of doing bad. So not everything that we do is bad, but we are capable of doing bad. Even when we know that what we want to do is bad. Even when we see something that's bad, we see it and we do it anyway. How many of us have been there? I need to see every single hand. Every single hand. Because we've all been there. Okay? We know that something we're about to do is or say is the wrong thing to do or say, but we go ahead and we do it anyway. Now, with the Holy Spirit in our lives, listen to me, with the Holy Spirit in our lives, the choices are still going to be there. The Holy Spirit coming into your life does not mean that instantly you are perfect. It does not mean that you are instantly not going to do bad things. Let me stress that to you because if you, this is where the enemy will play on you. And this is where the enemy will have you in condemnation. And he will have you thinking that I can't possibly have the Holy Spirit in my life because I want to do this. Let me tell you, even with the Holy Spirit in your life, you are still going to have the choice to make between right or wrong. Okay? We're still going to have our moments when we know that what we're about to do is wrong. But what the Holy Spirit does for us is to make that distinction between right and wrong even clearer. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will take away the gray areas. That's the best way I can describe it from my own experience. I knew before I was saved what was right and what was wrong up to a point. Okay, I, I knew <clears throat> what, was, uh, what was wrong, what was right, but there was a kind of gray area in the middle. There was a kind of an overlap where I was kind of unsure as to where it was. What the Holy Spirit has done for me personally is to make things black and white. There is no gray area. Now it's perfectly clear to me what is right and what is wrong. Now here's the deal. I've got this gray area that I used to walk in. That gray area is gone. Now it's black and now it's white. But it's still my choice as to which side of the fence I walk. I can still walk in the right and I can still walk in the wrong. Okay, so the choice is still there to make. And importantly, the choice is mine to make. It's my choice to make, even with the Holy Spirit present. He is not going to control me. The Holy Spirit will not control you. Some part of the fear of the Holy Spirit is this. Well, if I allow the Holy Spirit to baptize, if I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I allow the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, does that mean then the Holy Spirit completely takes over my body and I'm no longer in control? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. So you have nothing to fear from the Holy Spirit as regards losing control. You will not lose control. Sometimes I wish that he would take control away, okay, because exactly of what I'm talking about. The temptations are still there. The choices are still there, but he will never control you. He will never, get this, take away 
your free will. God loves you enough that he gives you free will. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not going to remove that free will from you. So you still have that power of choice. He gives us that free will, and he gives us the ability to choose. And he gives us that because he wants us to choose the right way by choice, not because we have to. God is looking for obedience. And obedience can only come when there is a choice to be obedient. Outside of that, then you're, if you are doing something under duress, it's not choice, is it? It's not choice. If you're doing something under duress, it's not choice. But if you have a choice between right and wrong, God is looking for you to take the right choice. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you to do that. All right, so let me again focus on what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not mean. It, means he will, it does not mean he's going to take over your body. It does not mean he's going to take over your mind. He's not going to control you, your thoughts or your actions. The Holy Spirit does not steer us by force. He guides us gently. He increases our powers of discernment and of conscience. As a Christian with, with the infilling of the Holy Spirit... You're going to be more sensitive to what's right, and you're going to be more sensitive to what's wrong. You are going to sense things that you don't, you, that you don't sense until you've had the influence of the Holy Spirit. And again, I, I'm, no, I'm no theologian. I'm a pastor. doesn't mean I know everything inside and out. There are people far more knowledgeable and, and can explain things in far more detail. I like to keep things simple, and the only way I can do that is by explaining to you how it's impacted my life. What are the differences with me? compared to eight years ago before I was saved. And like I said, here it is. It's, there's a discernment. There's something happens inside me now where I sense a lot clearer, a lot louder, with a lot more distinction, what's right and what's wrong. And not just from a choice perspective, but you also get to the point where you can sense situations which are not the best situations to be in. You can even sense people that are not necessarily people that you should be trusting fully. It's what's called discernment. And again, I'm talking like like it's very vague. It's a very vague thing. It's a very strange thing. It's a very different thing. Yes, it's different. Yes, it's different. Praise God it's different. Because then when it's different, I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I want that my life with the Holy Spirit to be different from the life that I had before the Holy Spirit. And I want that life back. So by definition, if there's differences, I'm going to sense those differences. And one of those is the power of discernment. And the more you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, the more he will guide you. The more you let him steer your choices and decisions, not just about what it is that you're doing or saying, but where it is that you are going and who it is that you are doing things with. And that is key. He helps you to do the things that are right. Okay, so he's going to guide us towards the right choice. But he does more than that when it comes to our choice. We're still in the letter to the Romans, and Paul talks of the power over sin that the Holy Spirit will give us. And this is in Romans 8.2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what is right, but he also helps us to not do what is wrong. How? Well, the second reason that we need him. He helps us to resist temptation. That's the second reason that we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul goes on in his letter to stress that with the Holy Spirit, we not only have the choice to make between right and wrong, 
but we also have his power to help us to turn away from the wrong choice. Romans 8, verse 12, 13. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. So, get this from this scripture. Paul makes reference to the fact that we have a choice. We have a choice. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So he's telling you right there, you have a choice. You can go ahead and do it if you want to. You can see this thing that's bad for you in your life, and you can choose to do so if you want, but you are under no obligation to do so. You have the choice to do what is wrong, but by definition, you also have the choice to do what is right. He stresses, we have no obligations, as I said, to do what our sinful nature urges us to do, because that is our nature. Our nature is a sinful nature. Our nature is tempted and will want to do what is not necessarily the best thing for us to do. And we need to remember this. Paul is writing here. He's not writing to a bunch of heathens. He's not writing to a bunch of people who don't know Christ. He's writing to the church. He's writing to the church that was planted in Rome. He's acknowledging the fact that Christians still have a sinful nature, by nature, and that we still, on occasion, will be tempted to do the wrong thing. Are you getting this this morning? As Christians, as I said, you're still going to be in this temptation. We have to choose to walk in the Spirit, to choose with the Spirit, and act through the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, 17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. These two forces are continually battling with each other, continually battling with each other. So again, Paul is not afraid here to acknowledge the fact that there is a constant battle going on inside of us between the right thing and the wrong thing. Now, they don't have to be massive things. They can be how we are going to react to somebody that has annoyed us. It can be how uh, we're going to react when somebody cuts us up on the road. It, It can be how we react if somebody offends us. Because there's always a right way and a wrong way to handle everything. And that's also in our responses to what it is that's actually going on with us. Always the temptation is there to go in the wrong direction. And just because we feel that the wrong way would be justified. How many of us have done that in the past? You've got a situation, somebody's really, really offended you. I mean really offended you. Not just kind of half offended. I mean fully offended. All right. How many of us have been there and thought, well, you know, you feel that anger up inside of you. And in the back of your mind, you've got that thing where you think, well, I know I shouldn't be feeling this anger and animosity. I know I should be forgiving them. But, but that doesn't apply right now in this situation because, that, that, I mean, they've really offended me. Now, if they kind of half offended me, then I would fully forgive them. But because they've fully offended me, I'm going to at best half forgive them. Now, that choice is there for us to make. 
It's a temptation for us to go in the wrong direction. And there are occasions where you are going to, in the flesh, feel completely justified in thinking bad things, doing wrong things, and saying the wrong things to people. Because that's our nature. And our nature is going to convince ourselves that the way that we feel is right. But it's not about how you feel. Not once you have the Holy Spirit in your your life. Not once you've had the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he is guiding you. It's not then about how you feel. You're going to feel the same things, hopefully to a lesser degree. You're going to feel them less often, but you're still going to feel those things. But with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be clearer as to the right way and the wrong way. And with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be easier for you, easier, not easy. It's going to be easier for you to choose the right path and not the wrong one. So I want to stress to you this. Don't feel bad when temptation happens. Whatever the circumstances are, each and every person's temptations are different. And again, that's biblical. That's biblical. That's exactly where the Bible tells us that, that God is not going to you know, give you more than you can handle. It's about the temptation. That's what that scripture is about. It's used for other purposes, and, and then so be it. That's fine. But it's talking about the power of temptation. And each and every one of us are tempted in different areas. Your sinful nature is different to my sinful nature, but they're both sinful natures. Okay, so what you're going to have sometimes is temptation. Sometimes you are going to be tempted to be angry at people. Sometimes you are going to be tempted to not forgive. Sometimes you're going to be tempted to go to places you shouldn't be going to, do things you shouldn't be doing, look at stuff that you shouldn't be looking at. You're going to feel that. You're going to have those temptations. So don't feel bad when that temptation happens. Don't misquote me here. I'm not saying don't feel bad if you follow through and choose to do those wrong things. I'm telling you don't feel bad if temptation comes. Because you will be tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted. He died sinless because he never gave in to that temptation. But Jesus Christ was tempted. So don't feel bad when temptation happens. There is nowhere in the Bible does it say that temptation will stop when you become a Christian. It does not say in the Bible that you will stop when you are baptized. It doesn't say that temptation is going to stop when you attend Bible college or go to church or attend church 48 weeks out of 52 or read the Bible cover to cover in six months or get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that temptation will stop. In fact, the opposite is true. Okay? Paul goes on, Uh, as far to tell us that whatever you are tempted in, whatever you individually, personally, are tempted in, it's old news. Someone else has already been tempted in that as well. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. God is faithful. But the temptations that you have are no different to everybody else. The devil is going to try and condemn you. If you're tempted to do something, he's going to be making you think, well, if you can't possibly be saved, otherwise you wouldn't want to do those things anymore. And that's a lie from the enemy. Okay? The Bible tells you quite clearly that temptation is still going to continue. But God's going to show us a way out. Amen? God will show you a way out. But at that point, you then got the bad thing, you got a way out. You've still got the choice. You have control 
over the choice that it is that you make. You still have to choose the right way. So the third reason that we need the Holy Spirit in our lives is this. He is a companion and guide for life. He is a companion and a guide for life. The Holy Spirit is absolutely a guide, okay? There is not a part of our lives that he cannot help us in and guide us through. Not a single part of our lives where he cannot help us and guide us. Again, if we allow him to do so. If we allow him to do so. Part of his role in our lives is to be our guide. It's to be our helper. And Jesus even made that clear, that that's exactly what the Holy Spirit would be in our lives. Excuse me, in John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples and is telling them that Jesus has to leave. He's saying, I have to go. If I don't go, then the helper can't come. Him leaving was the only way that he could send the Holy Spirit to be our helper. And the Holy Spirit guides us and steers us into truth. Now, a few verses later, Jesus lets us know what the Holy Spirit will teach us. He says this, There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Now, just for a second, I want you to imagine how much stuff Jesus Christ knows. Just try, just for a second. Now, if we combined all of your brain power into one huge brain, you could still not fathom the size of all the stuff that Jesus Christ knows. And I've kind of got an idea that he would have loved to have been able to share more than he did, especially with his, with his disciples. There must have been moments where he just wanted to go, and just garbage everything that he knew, just instantly set everybody straight. But can you imagine your brain if he actually attempted to do that? It, would, it wouldn't even be a loud explosion, not in my case anyway. It would, that, that would be it. I couldn't comprehend it. There is so much that he could have chosen to share, but he knew that they couldn't handle it. He knows that we cannot handle it, that we can't handle knowing everything about everything. And the same applies today. There's not one of us that could handle knowing everything that God knows about us. Forget everything else that he knows. I could not handle what it is that God knows about me. My brain could not comprehend everything that is that he knows about me up until this point, let alone my future as well. He knows what it is that's going to happen to us. I don't. He knows what's going to happen through us. I don't. He knows what's going to happen with us, around us, and to us. But he will not show us everything. Thank God. He will not show us everything. So the next time you're frustrated that you don't know what the future holds, be thankful that you don't know what the future holds. Because he's not going to show you just a part of it. I mean, thank God he's never answered my prayer when I've said to him, just show me God. Because again, that would be boop. So if ever, ever one Sunday you don't see me here, just, just go and check with somebody that, 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 that hasn't been a boop happen. Okay, but as I said, we pray for it. We want that. We desire that. That's in our nature. We don't like the unknown. We ask for it, but thank God he never actually shows us that. There are so many times in the last eight years since I've been saved that I've looked back and I've seen what it is that God was doing. In hindsight, 
I've looked back at decisions and choices that I've had in front of me, that I've made, and how my life has mapped out and panned out as a result of that. How God has steered me. How God has placed people in my life, some of whom have had a massive impact on my life, but they're not in my life any longer. But now I can see that in hindsight. But I could not see it at the time, and I could not see it coming. But it's in hindsight that we see how God has actually operated and, and, and seen us and, cho- and chosen and steered us. And it's very rare do I even see what is happening in the moment. Even when it's a huge God thing. When it's a huge God moment, it's in the afterwards that you say, hang on, bing, light bulb. That was a, that was a, uh, that was a huge God thing. But in the moment of the huge God thing, you don't always necessarily see it. So we don't know the full journey. But we need to trust him when he tells us to take the next step. Now, I want you to listen to very carefully to what it is I'm going to say to you next. And I want you to do this because I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in confirmation. Robert spoke about GPS. I've never heard anybody speak about the, the, the GPS with the Holy Spirit before. It's in my notes. So unless you read my notes this morning. So this is confirmation for somebody. Okay? And I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. It might not be a big deal to you, but standing up here, it's a huge deal when I heard Robert talking about it. Okay, well, there you go. Now, I have used this analogy before, but from actually somebody very close to me that I was trying to explain this concept to. When you're taking a long journey, you plug in your destination into the GPS, as Robert said. You put in the address of where it is that you're going to. And on most GPSs, you can set how close in or how far out you are whilst you're actually traveling. Okay, so my GPS is set for about a mile and a half radius. So whilst I'm actually driving along, I can see where I'm at now, and I can see a mile and a half radius. So I can see the next mile and a half on my journey. But I don't know every single turn that I'm going to be taking between where I'm at now and my final destination. You're going to listen to the GPS tell you exactly what it is that the next step in your journey is. The GPS is going to tell you, turn right at such and such. In one mile, turn right at this junction. So you're going to be given small, bite-sized chunks of the journey as you're going along. Now, you're never in a hurry or hungry. You'll never, you don't, don't stop every 15 yards to actually press the overview button and see what decisions and choices you're going to have to make 15 streets ahead. You are comfortable in the knowledge that that's all taken care of. And all you have to do is to follow the next turn. And that's exactly how your spiritual walk is. You know where you're at today. Your final destination is to go home to be with the Lord. And everything that happens between now and then, all you need to know is your next turn. All you need to know is whether you're turning left or you're turning right at the next junction. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how many more junctions there are after that or what's going to happen on the journey on the way, how many detours you have to take because of bad stuff happening, you know your final destination and where it is you're at right now. You have to let and allow the Holy Spirit to tell you the next turn you need to make and trust that that is a part of the journey that you need to be going on. If my GPS tells me to turn left, I don't say, hang on a second. Now my wife who's in the passenger seat might say, hang on a second. But I will not say, hang on a second, I'm just going to take the GPS on the left, okay? All right, so the next reason that we need the Holy Spirit 
in our lives is this. He helps us build our faith. Because it's that faith which helps us just to actually turn left when we're told to turn left and not question why. It's that faith which stops us from pressing the overview button and seeing the whole journey. It's that faith because we know that God is in control. God is in control. The worst parts of my life in the last eight years have been when I have tried to take control back. With a decision, a small decision or a big decision. It might be in the finances. It might be in a destination. It might be someone I'm going to hang out with. It could be anything. So many different choices and decisions. But the worst things have always resulted when I've gone against what I sense is the right thing to do. When I have tried to take control back of my life. And now, you know, my prayer actively, every single day, and I'm not just saying this, and my wife's as well, and we, say, we pray together as a couple with this. Every prayer we pray now, as a habit, in order that we actually are reminding ourselves, our prayer always is, Lord, whatever your will is. Whatever choice and decision, whatever it is that I'm praying about, if I have a close friend who's suffering from cancer, then I'm going to pray real hard for a miracle to happen and for him to be healed. But I will close that prayer with, your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. Your will be done. And it's that that's faith. The Holy Spirit helps us to build that faith. Our faith is increased the closer we become to God. The more we read and know his word, our faith increases. And the more that we communicate with him, our faith increases. All of those things will improve our faith because the more we know him, then the more we know of him and the more we can trust him. The more we will lean upon him and the more we will just take for what he says as being the right thing for our lives. We know more about what it is that he has done already for us, what he's doing for us right now and what he's going to do for us in the future. And we learn that from his word, from hearing the word, from reading the word from finding out more about him. Because that helps us to recognize more and more in our lives what it is that he's doing now. What it is that he's doing in our todays. And here's the thing. The more I hang around with somebody, the more I find out about them. The more I learn about them. The more I know what their likes are, what their dislikes are, what their beliefs are, what makes them tick, what they're prone to do very well, what they're prone to do not so well. I will learn those things about them the more that I'm hanging around with them. I'll learn what they've done in their lives. I'll learn what an impact they're making on other people. I'll learn what their dreams are for the future. I will learn all of those things about anybody that I hang around with. And the same applies to God. The more I hang around him, the more I'm going to find out what it is that makes God tick. The more I'm going to find out what his likes are, his dislikes are. The more I'm going to find out what pleases him, what displeases him, what plans he has, what things he's done. You understand? The more you hang around with him. It's not, it's it's complete to me, logical. It's entirely logical. If I'm describing a relationship with God, God is different, but relationship is not. I will, I will receive the same things from a relationship with God. I will receive different things, but I'll receive them in the same way that I will a relationship with you. The more I get to know you, the more I'm going to find out about you, and the same applies with God as well. So the closer I am to him, the more I read about him, the more I learn about him, but the more I communicate with him, the more often I communicate with him, the deeper I communicate with him, then the more of him 
is going to be revealed to me. Does that make sense? So how do I communicate with him? I communicate with him through prayer. I communicate with God directly through prayer. In the book of Jude, we're told this. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are to pray in the Holy Spirit to build up our holy faith. Now, praying in the Spirit is, to be honest, the part about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that has most people on edge. It's the whole speaking in tongues thing. It has people uncomfortable and on edge. Why? Why does that have people on edge? Well, because it's weird. That's why. Because it's weird. But weird doesn't mean bad. Weird does not mean bad. In fact, just to emphasize this, let me tell you what the dictionary definition of weird is. Involving or suggesting the supernatural. Imagine that. Imagine that. Or unearthly or uncanny. Or fantastic. Every single one of those is describing what it is to to pray in the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. What does that mean? It means it's not of this world. It's not natural. It's not usual. It's not normal. It's weird. So don't feel bad about people that you're talking to about it, or more importantly, who you're not talking to about the Holy Spirit. Don't feel bad about the fact that they think it's weird. They should think it's weird, because it's weird. Do you understand what, in the best definition of the word, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? It's very quiet, so I hope you're not all thinking, well, Pastor Pete told me to avoid the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's weird. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to you the concept of this is unusual. It's different. It's out of the ordinary. It's not what you are used to. And I'm telling you, and I'm speaking to you from experience again. Anything from God is for good. Anything from God is for good. And that includes the Holy Spirit and praying in the Holy Spirit. When something is difficult for your head to wrap around, it does not mean that you should run from it. It does not mean you should run from it just because you don't understand it. So what can I say to you about the prayer language that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit to make you understand it fully? Nothing. There's nothing I can say which is going to make you fully understand it. Why? Because I don't fully understand it. And anybody that tells me that they fully understand it, I will listen to politely. But I don't believe that they fully understand it. Our understanding is not a requirement from God. In so many areas of our life, God does not need you to understand. He does not require you to understand. And frankly, he doesn't want you to understand. Requirement is not a requirement. The understanding is not a requirement, as I said. He doesn't need you to understand what it is that he does. He needs you to trust in him and trust what he does. Not understand what he does. He needs you to trust what he does. So let me tell you what it is, is clear about the speaking in tongues for your prayer language. It's a way to communicate with God and intercede on behalf of others and yourself. And yourself. What do I mean by that? Well, it means that we get out of the way. When I'm praying to the Lord through the Holy Spirit and I'm praying in, in, in tongues in my prayer language, I don't understand what it is that I'm saying. So if I don't understand what it is that I'm saying, then I can't second guess what it is that I'm saying. 
Does that make sense? If I've got something important, if the Holy Spirit has got something important to communicate about my life, I don't want to be in the way of it. If there is something that the Holy Spirit senses about somebody that I know and love that needs to be communicated to God through prayer, through me as a vessel, then I don't want to be in the way of it. And frankly, some of the prayers that that I might well have been praying to the Holy Spirit in my prayer language, I wouldn't want to know the details of. And this is all, as I said, it's weird. I'm seeing a whole sea of blank faces right now. Because it's a different topic. It's a strange, it's a weird topic. But I'm doing my best to, to not make it such a big deal. You understand? It's a huge deal. But it's not something I want you to be worried about or fearful of. Okay, look at this in the First Corinthians 14.2. For anyone who speaks in tongue does not speak in to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, let me keep this particular verse in, in context for all you theologians out there. This scripture is not talking about the prayer language. It's talking about speaking in tongues as a gift. In fact, what Paul is doing here is comparing the gift of tongues to the gift of prophecy and is saying if you can have one or the other, then have the gift of prophecy because gift of prophecy is better for the church. So I'm saying all of that just to say to you that I'm not pulling this scripture out and, and making it about the prayer language. What I'm talking to you about, I'm pulling it out of the, and I'm saying to you, it's about speaking in tongues, which is exactly what a prayer language is. It's just a different thing to the prophecy, the gift of prophecy. Okay? So, this is telling you that the prayer language that comes with baptism is not for people. It's for God. It's for you to communicate directly to the Lord and not to people. So is a prayer to God in tongues more effective than a prayer to God in English or American? Is it, is, it, is it more? Is it more powerful than that? Well, it's not because it's in a different language. It doesn't make it more powerful. But potentially, as I've already touched on, it's going to communicate more clearly to him because it's unhindered by us. You understand? So I can pray the same prayer in English, as I can in my prayer language, but I'm likely to get in the way if I understand what it is that I'm praying for. We will not limit what we're praying for if we're praying in tongues, if we're praying in our prayer language. We won't step in the way of it. We won't limit what it is that we're asking for. Quite frankly, we should all dream, think big, dream big, pray big. We should all be doing that. We should be praying huge, huge prayers. We should be praying, you know, like all of the prophets in the Bible did. We should be praying for rain and praying not for... We should be doing all of those things and believing that the power of prayer is there. But I'll stand here and raise my hand first to this question. How many of us have not, have, have not prayed something because we think it's too big, a, a big an ask? I am the only one. Thank you. But there are prayers that you won't pray or I won't pray, or haven't prayed in the past because I think it's a bit too big of an ask. Not because I don't believe God can do it, but I question whether God would do it for me. Now, if I'm praying in something that I don't understand, in a prayer language that I don't understand, then I'm not going to limit the prayer that I'm asking. It's powerful. It's powerful. And I know there are some people in here that don't fully understand what it is I'm talking about. There are some people in here who are mentally rejecting what it is I'm saying right now. And there are people in here who have switched off 15 minutes ago who are probably waiting for the message to be over so they can run out the door. 
But there are other people here who can relate exactly to what it is I'm talking about. There are other people here who pray in the Holy Spirit who know the impact that it can have on your lives. And this is what I want for everybody. And it's what God wants for everybody, is to have that. Now let me take a moment, and I want to try and put your mind at ease about this topic. And I want to do that by just sharing to you what my experience of this is. Because, as some of you know, again, I was only saved eight years ago. So I'm what I consider to be a baby Christian. And the fact that I'm standing here and, pre- and preaching is by God only. It's by God only. But I keep things simple just for the sake of my brain not going poop. But let me t- tell you what my experience of this was, my experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had absolutely no idea what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. And this is why I know it's real. Because I, wasn't, I, w- I didn't come forward to an altar and a request, having learned all about the Holy Spirit and having been told what was going to happen to me. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you all come to the altar at the end of this message, knowing what it is that's going to happen, so on and so forth, there's nothing wrong with that. My point to you is this. I was clueless about the power of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think I was in my second or third men's Bible study ever. At Healing Place, I was sat at a desk, and I know it was early on because it came pretty soon. I was leading the tables and stuff, but I was not in this, on this occasion. So I know it was my second or third time in a men's Bible study, surrounded by men that I didn't know, uh, a church that I'd only just become involved with, uh, and I was, again, a baby Christian. And the guy next to, well, firstly in that meeting, there was a guy over this table here that started speaking randomly in tongues in the middle, in the middle of um, Pastor Johnny, I think it was, who was giving a message. Started speaking in tongues over here to my right, which freaked me right out. Why? Because it's weird. But then what freaked me out even more was the guy over here on this table translated it, which was double weird. So I just kind of, you know, I mean, I, I saw it I, and I experienced it and I didn't understand it. So I just thought, well, okay, all good. We carried on with the rest of the Bible study. And then a guy came to me at the end and said, got talking to me. He, know, he knew a little bit about my story. And he said, Pete, have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I said, no, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. He said, well, come, come with me. So we went into a room and he just said to me, told me the benefits of the Holy Spirit and the fact that he felt led that he was going to actually pray for me. He explained to me what might happen. He explained to me what might not happen. And then he prayed over me. And then, boom, I hit my knees. And I didn't come out in flowing language. I, 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 was, I, I just grunted several times in succession. And then I stood up and I was shaking and I felt different. And that's as much explanation as I'm going to give you because that's the only way I can explain it. I felt different. I went home, I went to bed, I slept. I woke up in the morning, I went into to my room, sat in my armchair, opened my Bible, read my word, started praying, closed my eyes, and then bang, my prayer language came. And I've got chills right now. And for I don't know how long, it could have been moments, it could have been out, I'd have got no idea. I just prayed in the Spirit. And then since then, I have prayed in the Spirit every single day. Since that point. Now that was my experience which I then Googled and found out what it <laughs> that actually happened to me. Because, again, I wasn't prepared for it. I had no idea what it was. But I'm here to tell you, firstly, I survived. <laughs> Secondly, the Holy Spirit has only ever done good things in my life. He's only ever done good things in my life. 
And I didn't need to understand it or even comprehend what it was for it to happen. So I'm here to tell you it's real. It's 100% real. I'm here to tell you it's 100% good. It's 100% good. And if any of you want to you know, talk to me one-on-one about it and about what my experience is, let me just reassure you. I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity to come forward and get prayed for at the end. of the, If you don't want to come forward, don't come forward. And this sounds, like, again, unusual coming from a platform. But I want to take the pressure off you, particularly as we're now at the end of the series. I don't want you thinking that because if you haven't yet been infilled with the Holy Spirit, I don't want you thinking that if it doesn't happen to you today, it's never going to happen, or you're not going to get another opportunity until we preach on the Holy Spirit again. I don't want you to feel that, because the infill of the Holy Spirit is a personal thing, and it can happen at any time, at any time. When you are asking for it, when you are open to it, when you are receptive to it, and when you get out of the way, when you submit to the Holy Spirit in filling you, that's when it's going to happen for you. And I don't care if it's here. I don't need it to be here. We don't need it to be here. I just want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't care when that is. And there are some people that will need a prompting, that they will need to come forward. They will need somebody to lay hands and pray on them. They will need somebody maybe to lift up their hands and encourage them to pray. But there are other people that will just rather go home and lay in bed, close their eyes and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit. Do that. If that's you, do that. Because the Holy Spirit, the infilling of it, is a life-changing thing. And it will give you what it is that we're going to talk about now. Supernatural power. Supernatural power. This is the last reason that we need the Holy Spirit. Supernatural power. Now, supernatural power is not superpowers. Okay, it's not superpowers. It doesn't mean that you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and then be able to step into a telephone booth, step out and fly. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. Supernatural power is not a superpower. Supernatural power is the ability to tap into unlimited resources. Ephesians 3.16, look at this. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That is what the Holy Spirit does for you. He taps into his unlimited powers and gives them to you in order that you can actually have strength beyond your own strength. You can have patience beyond your own patience. How many of us need that? He will give you abilities beyond your own abilities. And I don't just mean physical strength, although he could well do, because I'm not going to limit God in anything. But I'm talking about emotional strength. I'm talking about super, uh, spiritual strength. The strength to carry on when everything else around us is falling apart. This last couple of months has been horrific. It's been a test and it's been a trial. But you know what? I, I, I've said a thousand times how anybody has survived this without Jesus Christ. I have no idea. I have no idea, because surviving it with Jesus Christ has been difficult enough. Yes? Some for, more, more for some than others. But for us as a family, it's been horrific. But we've always had Jesus Christ to lean upon. He's given us that supernatural strength in our lives. So there is power there for to sustain us. It's to give us strength. And it's not for our benefit alone. He doesn't give you strength for your benefit. He doesn't give you powers for your benefit. He gives them for the benefit of other people. He gives you supernatural strength that you are able to do what it is that you are saved in the first place to do. He gives you supernatural abilities for you to be able to fulfill what it is that you are called to do. And that is quite simply to be a light in darkness. 
It's to spread the word. It's to spread the gospel. And with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you are going to be in a position and stronger to do that continually. Look at what Jesus says to the disciples about what will happen when they have received the Holy Spirit. Well, that's Scripture. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses, is what Jesus says. You'll be telling people about me everywhere, is what he says. And that's what we are given the strength by the Holy Spirit to do. That's what we're given supernatural power to be able to do. That's what we're given our gifts for, to be able to touch people and to help people to come to know Jesus Christ that don't know him already. That's what we are given our salvation for. We're called to be used. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us achieve what it is that God wants us to achieve. So there's more, but I'm out of time. So in summary, I just want to tell you this. This hopefully has given you some information about the Holy Spirit. Hopefully. It's not freak you out about the Holy Spirit. And hopefully you understand that weird is not a bad thing. Different is not a bad thing. It's something that you should embrace. It's something that you should embrace. So in summary, I want to tell you this. Don't fear the Holy Spirit. Don't fear the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Know it's a good thing. And know that it's 100% a God thing. Amen? If you'd all stand to your feet. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.